Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022. Actually, it is, uh, yeah, it is November the 8th, 2022. Yesterday, I'm getting confused with my dates. It's a whirlwind. Yes, then, interesting conversation with um, political scientist, economist Shannon O'Neill on why she believes that globalization is a myth. Um, she believes that regions are much more important when it comes to making sense of our economies and our productivity. Um, and I was thinking uh, in that context of whether the globalization myth also applies to literature as much as it does to economics. And perhaps regions matter more than globalization. We, we seem to live in a literary sense in more and more of a, a global world, but it's creating a regional, if not a, a local or existential crisis. Um, did a show a couple of months ago with the Indian writer Amit Chaudhuri, who has a fascinating new book out, Sojourn, about his experience as an Indian in Berlin. And my guest today, I think, is in the Chidori School, if there's such a thing. Eduardo Halfon uh, um, is uh, uh, one of Guatemala's leading writers, but I'm not quite sure if he even thinks of himself as a Guatemalan writer. I'm not sure how he thinks of himself. Um, perhaps we can ask the great man himself, Eduardo. Um, we tend to think, or we, we North Americans tend to think of everything south of Texas in literary terms. Uh, do you think of yourself as a regional Central American, Latin American writer? Or like Shannon um, O'Neill, um, is not just globalization, but regional identity in literary terms, is it mythological? That's a that's that's a great question. Well, first of all, Andrew, thank you for for having me on. Well, thank Very you, Eduardo, for being patient and dealing with all our technical glitches. You're it's, a patient it's, man. Maybe I'm it's because you're an engineer. You understand the I understand. limits of technology. I understand, and I'm I'm I can be patient with technology. Yes, uh, it's it's a great question, Andrew. It's um, but my case is not typical, so I, I, it would it would I would have to to preface any answer I give you with that, you know, I, I was born in Guatemala, but I am not Guatemalan in, in any sense. I don't sound Guatemalan. I grew up in the States. That's why I speak English uh, like an American. Uh, but my family arrived in Guatemala um, by, by accident and quite late. My four grandparents are European, um, you know, Polish grandfather who arrived after spending six years in concentration camps. Uh, my Lebanese grandfather arrived from Beirut, uh, both Jewish, but both arrived in, in Guatemala in, in their 20s. Uh, and my two grandmothers were from Egypt and Aleppo in Syria. So, so I am not a very typical case. Uh, Do you feel, and, and this is why actually I brought this up with you, you, you seem on the one hand about as global as you can get with all these different backgrounds, the ultimate, yeah. yes, traveling yeah. Jew in the sense that you come from everywhere and nowhere. 
Right. And yet all, all your books, and, and this is true of um, your, your latest book, uh, Cancion in particular, which got a wonderful review uh, in the LA Times and in the New York Times, they're all about identity. They're all about the search for identity, but perhaps a search which will never actually realize anything. Is that a fair way of generalizing about your work? Yeah, I think it's, it's very fair. It's, it's, it's spot on, actually. Um, I, I, I seem to embody this, this nomadic Jew uh, persona. No, I, my family has been that way. I've been living that way my entire life. Um, we, we began this conversation before you started recording. You asked me where I was. I'm in Berlin, but I, I have to double check. Um, because in the past six years, we have lived in six different cities, four different countries, uh, th two different continents. So I've been I've been moving around a lot. Um, maybe that is why I write to try to, to to put some kind of order into all of these pieces of my identity. I don't consciously, Andrew, write about identity. I'm not I'm not thinking about that word. As I write, uh, I, I, I write stories, but evidently those stories are linked um, by by that word, you know, or it is, it is in that setting that I that I tell my stories, uh, and maybe that is why I write. Maybe that is why I gave up engineering and and chose to tell stories in, when I was almost thirty. I made that that change of, of path of destiny um, to to try to understand all of these fragments. Um, that make up my my own identity. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Chidori. Uh, if you're not, I think you should look at his work. Um, he he describes himself as a, a post realist, um, I, and sometimes these terms can be a bit academic and annoying. Do, do you fit yourself though into a tradition? Um, you know, ma obviously, magical realism is the term that comes to mind when one right. talks about Latin American literature are you part of a tradition um, no. or are you just writing and figuring out as you go along i'm i'm just writing and and and, and let the others figure it out as i go along but um i'm very hard to classify uh my type of which is um, a kind of classification also. which is exactly exactly a, a non-classification is a classification but if you want to insert me into the Latin American canon, you're going to have a hard time, um, both because of my, my prose, the, my, my, my style of, of writing. My themes are much more Eastern European, European Jewish. My humor is much more Eastern European Jewish. Um, I'm closer to English, yeah, than I am to Spanish. And that affects my Spanish. I only write in Spanish, but I'm thinking in English. So that's a little tricky. Um, Guatemalans don't know what to do with me. Latin Americans don't know what to do with me. Um, I make a joke in in Do Jews not know what to do with you? No, not really. Well, some Jews You're do. Stuck in so, the middle. I'm stuck you in that the, song. Stuck, yeah, in, the stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the I mean, middle you've written you. a lot about um, uh, Guatemala. I mean, it's obviously an interesting country, um, tragic in many ways. Country. Um, you don't. You're not shy to use that part of yourself for a piece of the literature is that fair the yes yes and it's always a guatemala andrew uh seen from the outside you know i i, I it's it, it's a guatemala um 
from an outsider's point of view, uh, both because I, I left when I was 10. So I, 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 I grew up there. I was born there. I grew up there my first 10 years, but then I left. Uh, but even in those first 10 years, it's very strange to grow up Jewish in a totally Catholic country. So all of my friends were Catholic, every single one of them. And uh, that's, that's bizarre for a little boy. No, why? Were you brought up with a very strong sense of your Jewish yes. identity? Yes, yes. I think that comes from the grandfathers, uh, from my parents. So, so not a very practicing Jewish family. Um, we weren't kosher, for example. We, we, uh, but a very strong identity, uh, Jewish identity. Um, but that was a strange childhood. You know, to, to not celebrate Christmas, to not have First Communion. So I never felt really there. Uh, I, I, was, I was always, I always felt as if I didn't belong there or one foot out the door, so to speak. And you, uh, left, in a, you left in a very different way. We had um, uh, Javier Zamora yes. on the show. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with his new work, Salito. I am. I'm reading it now, it was, actually. Yeah, a remarkable book, remarkable guy, actually. Um, he, of course, left. El Salvador in a quite different way from the way you left Guatemala. You came, what, to Florida? You came to America as um, uh, as as uh, a documented immigrant, a presumably Sorry. quite privileged in a way. Absolutely. How, how would you compare and contrast your movement from Central America, you from Guatemala, to to, to the United States in contrast with someone like Zamora's? Absolutely, completely opposite completely different. You know, we, we left in 1981, Andrew, to the place where we would go on vacations. So for us kids, it was just going to Miami. We were just going to Miami. You know, we, we, we spoke a little English. Um, we, 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 we had an apartment already in, my, in Miami. So it was not a dramatic move in the least. We didn't understand why we were moving. Um, you know, there was a war going on in Guatemala that had been going on for, you know, 20 some odd years by then which we had no idea was happening. Um, so overprotected or, or isolated is, is an understatement for, for our situation. Um, a very, very privileged leaving compared to, to, to Javier's. Um, and, and so very easy to forget, very easy to just leave that Guatemala behind. And I did, I left, I left the, the country behind. I left language behind, you know, I almost lost my Spanish. Um, I had to, I had to work back uh, uh, into it when I when I began to read and write uh, literature, uh, but it, it was it was a fleeing of a very privileged sort. And it's ironic, thinking out loud here, um, Eduardo, that one of the consequences, almost like a punishment of your privilege, is this crisis of identity, which I, I think somebody like Zamora or a number of other guests right. we've had on the show. Um, don't suffer from. In a way, right. the gods are paying you back. That's right. And I'll give you another example, an even closer example. My wife, who is Guatemalan, is the daughter of two guerrilla fighters. Um, she was she was born in Guatemala in 1980, but it was forbidden to have children in the guerrilla, so they had to take her out of the country. She grew up in Sandinista, Nicaragua, uh, while that lasted, and then had to move to Mexico. And her sense of country you know for, for guatemala is so strong both her and her brothers and i think that's exactly um 
what you're what you're speaking of. Uh, in my case, I, that that was shattered, and that's the price I'm paying now. And and, and it's 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 uh, um, a very distant relationship I have with my native country. And and it's all co- of course coming out in your in your books, which I guess uh, you might think of them in a way as a form of therapy or self-therapy. The new book, uh, Cancion, uh, which, as I said, got a great review in the uh, in the L.A. Times and the New York Times recently. Um, you write every writer of fiction is an imposter. Um, the, uh, is that every writer or particularly writers like you privileged? I mean, and I use this term. I'm as privileged, probably more privileged than you. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not trying to give you any kind of guilt. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, I don't know if therapy is the right word in my case, because if that were true, Andrew, I'd be better now, or I would have stopped writing. So I don't know if they're they're therapeutic, my books. Uh, At least they're not while I'm writing them. Uh, And and this line that you quote, uh, that every writer is is an imposter, is a a line from Cancion. The book ends ends with, with a scene... Uh, in in Tokyo, right, which, uh, a conference on Lebanese literature. Right. A very um, that's right. Uh, how funnish, if that if there's such a word, uh, world of all these different influences coming together, which are, yeah. again a mirror of your own background. Yeah, well, I, this this imposter idea is always interesting to me because I try to differentiate the writing from the writer. Let me let me explain. So, being a writer has nothing to do with writing. Writing is what I do when I'm not with you, when I'm you know, by myself and trying to figure out a sentence or a paragraph or a story. Say that again, um, I like that. Writing is what? Uh, writing has nothing to do with being a writer. Being, being a writer is one thing, you know? It's, it's, going, it, 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 it's going out into the world and having to talk about your writing and why you write and how you write. And why, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the pose that we have to strike when, when asked to in book presentations, in, 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 in interviews. Um, and that is a type of posturing, no? It is an, it is an imposter's pose that we, that we have as writers. Um, but that is not the writing. That, 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 that's, that's this imposter idea. Um, of, of putting on a mask uh, uh, and going out and speaking about what you do. Uh, you know, in this Tokyo conference, I was asked to put on my Lebanese writer's mask. I was invited as a Lebanese writer, which to me was a joke or, or, an, or a mistake at, when, I, when I received the invitation, but they were, they were very serious. They wanted me to come as a Lebanese writer. So I went, I went, why not? How skeptical you are, are you of all this? Uh, identity politics and culture that everybody has to tick a box that you may get invited to an event in Tokyo as a Lebanese writer when you're anything but Lebanese. Is there yeah. something problematic here going yes. on, Eduardo, yeah, to, yes. to be polite here? Yes, I make a joke of it. I make light of it, but it's, it's, it's very problematic. Um, or, or I'm invited as a Polish writer. I've been invited as a Polish writer. Or my books are, are, are stacked in the Polish literature uh shelf of bookstores um but i'm also a jewish writer or a latin american writer or a, or a central american writer um recently i've been getting french writer because i lived in france for a while uh, 
so so I, I make I make light of this, Andrew, of this, you know, different costumes that I can put on and off, uh, uh, de depending on the situation. Zelig like you remember Zelig from Woody Allen? Yes, you can, yes. You can, you can sort of transform physically uh, depending on the on the circumstance. It's 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 a very Jewish thing, I think. Um, it is a very uh, no? Jewish thing. I mean, what Jewish writers do you feel you you uh, you you're in debt to? What tradition? Ah, uh, Kafka especially. Yeah. Um, just as a reader, more so than in, uh, a, a prose influence. It's as a reader, Kafka was was very influential. Uh, the American Jewish writers is very strong. Uh, yeah, Malibu. I wonder if you sort of pride yourself on being a bad Jew. We did a show yeah. with Emily Tamkin. She has a new nonfiction yeah. book out on bad Jews in American culture and politics. Uh, are you uh, coming out of uh, Philip Roth's zipper, so to speak? So to speak, so to speak. I, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying a bad Jew. Uh, I'm sure other Jews would call me a bad Jew, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, not I, a actually, good Jew anyway. I mean, not you, a, you not pride a, not yourself a on not being a good Jew. That's right. That's right. That, you're correct. I, 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 I mean, the more you talk about yourself, the more Eduardo Halfon could be a, a figure, perhaps is a figure, perhaps mm -hmm. is dominates his fiction. I mean, you're... you're maybe your fiction isn't even fictional. It's about as factual as you can get. It's both. It's both because I, I, I believe it can be both. You know, my narrator, we haven't mentioned this, Andrew, but we should, we should mention this. My narrator has my name. And is this in all the books or just in All Cancion? the books. All the books. Cancion is the sixth book in a series of books. Right. So there's Polish. There are four books in English. There's the four Polish books that some people may be familiar with. Morning. Um, and then uh, monastery, monastery, not a very Jewish title. And then, of no. course, Ancien. And you know, that's the most Jewish of the lot. Monastery takes place in, in Israel. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a trip to Israel. So uh, a very, very non-Jewish title for a very Jewish book. Uh, but these you're always books, wondering. I mean, you're, you're, yes. a, you're a wanderer, Eduardo, both fictionally and in person. I am. And I, and I said from I place to place. You never feel at home anywhere? Never. Never have not. I have not felt at home anywhere. Um, Do you feel at home in yourself? No, probably not, Andrew. Probably, I, I try not to dwell on that. I'm too much, too rational, too much of an engineer to to get stuck on that. But probably not. And that's probably why I have this irrational need to speak and to say things and to tell stories and 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 to insert myself in my stories. You know, this 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 narrator uh, who's also named Eduardo Halfon. Uh, but who smokes? I don't smoke. That's the first difference between he and I. Uh, it, it's something that was very natural to me. I just started writing this way. Um, so very factual in, 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 in a sense, but they're fiction. They're fiction. I'm, I'm, I'm writing fiction. They're stories set in a very autobiographical setting is, is the only way I can describe it. Uh, you you were actually introduced to me by Anna uh, Badken, um, who was on the show recently. Another highly international writer, Russian, written a lot about Africa and uh, Central Asia. She she was on the show recently. She has a new book out, Bright Unbearable Reality. And in my conversation with Anna, she referred very much to W. G. Sebald as her great influence. Um, 
Are you also a, a Seaboldian writer? Do, do, is, is Seabold important for you? Yeah, so that, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, especially there was a, a UK reviewer of the Polish boxer who said I was, who, who said that I, my influence, uh, my strongest influence was Sebald, and I had not read Sebald yet. So I went and took a look and I, I, I liked it. And, and I, maybe I agree, maybe there is some Sebald in me, but with, with, without me knowing it. Uh, Which would be very Seboldian. That's very right. Borghesian. And a Borges is also right. a writer who comes to mind when I think of you. Yes, I, I, would, I, would, say, I would think so. In, 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 especially in, in um, the, the, the short story genre. You know, I, 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 I feel very comfortable in short fiction. And, and in that sense, I'm very much in the North American and Latin American tradition of, of short stories. Um, but the Sebald comparison was very interesting to me. And, and I think there is some truth in it, even though it's Borgesiano, as you say, um, uh, after the fact. <laughs> yeah, and it's ironic given that, of course, Sebald is Anglo-German and, and wrote yeah. in some ways about not the yeah. Jewish experience, although in part about the Jewish experience in the war, but the German experience. The German, the German, yeah. I mean, when you think of yourself as a, a Jewish writer, it's more from the Sephardic tradition, isn't it? From from Lebanon, from um, the Middle East, or, or also no, from Europe? Both, both. I think what, what, the Polish boxer uh, is more my, my Ashkenazi side. Um, it's, it's the story of my Polish grandfather and um, uh, in Auschwitz. And he was he was saved in Auschwitz by a boxer. So I I, I begin there, uh, and and uh, the next few books in Spanish are also deal with him. Um, I go to Poland and find his house, for example, in 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 a, in a story called Oh Ghetto, My Love. Uh, but then I start s switching into my Sephardic side uh, from from. Uh, Morning on, so morning is the is is where that change takes place uh, in 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 my in my stories. You now from from the Ashkenazi to the to the Sephardic. Well, there, there you go. Do your writers? Uh, sorry, not your writers. Uh, that was a Freudian slip. Your readers, Eduardo. Uh, you you have a, a cult following. I think if you may not be the next Seaboard or Borges, but you certainly have that quality of writing and, and that kind of um, dedicated, loyal readership. How do your readers think of you, given that you flit in and out of your literature? Do they think that you're, they're reading books about Eduardo Halfman? Yes. yes, yes. I think, I think a couple of things happened with my readers, Andrew. The first um, is that since these books are a sort of series where characters reappear, or a story that I started in, in, in the Polish boxer then continues in mourning. Um, so my, my readers have been following me since 2008 when the Polish boxer came out and, and they keep waiting for the new installment, almost like a series, um, you know, where the new, the, the new chapter or the new episode is coming out. So there is, there is, there is this phenomenon of a, of a cult following, a small <laughs> cult following. But when I meet them, uh, they think that I'm the narrator. They're convinced, you know? And I have to remind them that I'm not, uh, that this is just a trick. 
me giving him my name and, and, my, and my bio and, and lending him my family's stories are just a trick. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you they're fiction. I'm selling you my books as fiction. You're buying them as fiction. There is a contract we sign, uh, but then they forget. They forget and they, they read them as if they were absolutely real and they are not. They are true. I, I, we haven't used the A word yet. Um, one of my oh, least yeah. favorite oh, words. Yeah. I'd rather I don't, work I, 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 no, don't, don't use it. Don't use it. Uh, but, but my question is, um, why are readers looking for authentic writers when, as you suggested, that's the biggest lie of all? That's, the, that's a great question. Why, why do they need, they need to believe these, these stories are real? I don't know. And it's this certainty in such a profoundly uncertain world. And you're writing. You're a slippery yes. writer, and yeah. both with yourself and with your audience and your form. Yeah. And that's what defines you. And yet you're attracting an audience that wants the opposite. That wants the, that needs the, the certainty. I think that's it. I think you, you, that, that, that might be part of the answer, Andrew. I think they need to believe in, 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 in certainty. Um, I don't. I don't. You, you've read... Uh, uh, some of my prose, the, the narrator, you know, second guesses all the time. Yeah, uh, he, it's either this or that, or maybe this, or or then I contradict a story I just told you. Um, anything but an engineer, you know. Literature is not certain. Literature is 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 anything but. But 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 I think readers want to believe. I think they want to read as children read. You know, where they just they just take it in, uh, and and don't question whether it's. Um, Fiction or autobiography or the A word, autofiction. I'm pre pretty sure that was the the, the the A word you were going for. Um, they just they just believe it. Um, yeah, it's I, I, and why do people want this certainty? It's all part of this, you know, supposedly globalized world where everything is fleeting, everything is uncertain, mm -hmm. everything is in constant flux. That might be why, you know. That might be why they they they, they need uh, something certain in an uncertain world and and a, a a type of literature a type of fiction that resembles uh, reality that that mimics reality is is very appealing to some readers. Uh, I know that it is not appealing to other readers. I, I know there are readers where I what I do um, makes no sense. And they want something else. They want the, you know, the the fantasy, or the, mm. or, the or 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 the sci-fi. Yeah, have you looked at the work of Chadori? If, if no, you haven't, no, you but would I will really enjoy I will. it. Um, talking to him, he said when he was growing up, he seriously considered becoming a, a movie director, and he's a huge movie fan. There's something very cinematic about your work too. Uh, yes. Are you influenced by yeah. certain movie directors oh, and certain I, forms? I'm sure I am. I'm sure I am. I, I have. I've never looked for those influences. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I grew up on movies. Uh, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. A, I very, very into movies still. Uh, and I, I see what you're saying. That I. It's very cinematic. My stories are very cinematic. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with image. Uh, I work from images, and I try to create images. Um, I think that's 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 the the uh, the way of a short story writer as well, you know, to 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 leave you with an image, to begin you off with an image, and to leave you with an image, and that's very easy to translate into film. Um, 
but I'm, I'm, I've, you know, I'm very, very much into uh, Iranian uh, directors. Um, I, 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 I rewatch them all the time, and I think there's something very poetic about Kiarostami and 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 Marmalbach mm. uh, and and all of these other great Iranian directors. Uh, Do you miss um, science? Do you miss engineering? No, no, and and there's the certainty. No, and, the completeness, and, the quantifiable I'll, nature of it. You know why? Because I'm still very much an engineer. I don't work as an engineer. I don't work in engineering, but I'm very methodical and very uh, um, uh, organized. I'm very much an engineer when I write, Andrew. Not in a first draft because I don't know what's going to happen when I'm writing. I'm I'm I'm, I'm improvising. I'm 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 writing in the dark. But then once I have that first draft finished comes a long period of what I would call uh, literary engineering. You know, uh, it's very linguistic, getting that language right, getting the breathing right, getting the paragraph right. Um, and then once I have a story and I want to insert that story into a book, then I have to make the stories fit. Uh, so it is a very much uh, like an engineer. Are there... Other fiction writers with an engineering background who you could relate to? Uh, there's, there's, there's many. Uh, Nusil was an engineer. Right. Uh, and very ironic and detached and, as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the first one who comes to mind. But I've met contemporaries. I've met quite a few. I think there's, there's it's not that strange. Um, and, if you, if, and if you make it even broader and go scientists, uh, that, that, that then become uh, writers, you know, the doctors, the Chekhovs and the, and, and the um, Bulgakovs of this world and, and the William Carlos Williams. So there's something in, in my case, I'll, let, let me just speak personally here, not for everyone. Uh, there was a void. There was a void. There was too much math, too much order, too much um, supposed certainty. And I think I needed the other, the other, the other side. You know, some some chaos and some um, just just beauty. Let's end just very briefly, uh, Eduardo. Talk to me a little bit about Cancion. How does it fit into your work? It's uh, as you say, it's I think it's the fourth book published in yeah. English. Right. Um, the others um, have all had critical success, maybe not so much commercial success. It, it's certainly an acquired taste. You have a, a sort of a cultish quality. There's mourning. There's the Polish uh, doctor. There's a monastery. H how would you fit Cancion into uh, this output? Where, where, do, where does it fit? And can people start there? I mean, if, yes. if they haven't read your work, are you okay with them starting with Absolutely. Cancion? Absolutely. Absolutely, because there's no order in, in 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 these books, Andrew. They've they've they're all independent. They're all all you know their own story, but they fit into a larger project or a larger scope. Um, in some translations, these books are now published together, which is proof, <laughs> if we need proof, of them being one big project. But you can start anywhere. You can start with Cancion. You can start with Morning. Cancion, uh, which is the same title in Spanish. It's, it's the Spanish word for song. And that used to be the nickname of the man who kidnapped my grandfather. 
my Lebanese grandfather. Um, they called him Cancion, uh, a guerrilla fighter who in 1967, January of 67, kidnapped my Lebanese grandfather. This was four years before I was born. And the story of that kidnapping was always a, a bit taboo. Uh, you know, I would hear things about it, but never really uh, a lot. Um, and, and it had to do with the war. It had to do with that war in Guatemala that I grew up so sheltered from. Uh, and, and, and a war that I didn't want to write about because I didn't consider it my war. I didn't consider, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't mine to, to, to write about. So I would shy away from it um, until I stumbled onto this man's story, uh, this, this, this uh, guerrilla fighter, Persia Milcar Jacobs Fernandez was his name. And then I got interested. And he became a, an entryway, sort of a, a, a doorway into writing about that time period, that, that brutal uh, time period in, in Guatemala's recent history, and about my Lebanese grandfather, and thus uh, about my Lebanese, uh, the Lebanese part of my family. Uh, but it, it, it is a story of a kidnapping, Gansion. Well, it's, um, it's a wonderful book, and it's part of an important tradition that you're building up, a, um, a corpus, Eduardo. You may not like that word, but it's a reality. No, it's fine. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take nice it. Um, yeah. uh, I think everyone needs to become familiar. I think you're one of these names that are going to become more and more popular, more and more fashionable. I'm not sure if you'll be happy about that. but I'll, ta I'll take it. Of that's course. the consequence of writing. Uh, you've sort of you're you seem ambivalent about the act of writing but it's yes. all you can do you don't have any choice on the matter so congratulations no. on that lack of choice um eduardo what else should i mean you're obviously a deeply literate and literary man mm -hmm. so asking you for some book suggestions is probably asking for a list of 100 books is there are there one or two books that you would particularly recommend to our readers and listeners that you think don't get well, read enough in the uh, English corpus? Well, let me, let me answer you this way. There were two books that I read obsessively while I was writing Cancion. And one or both should be read by everybody. Uh, one of them was The Act of Political Murder by my compatriot, uh, uh, Francisco Goldman, uh, which is now an HBO documentary, but the book is fascinating, fascinating about the murder of, of an archbishop in Guatemala. So it's mm. a nonfiction book. Um, but more than that, there's a, there's a book uh, published in English, but by an Argentine writer uh, called Rodolfo Walsh. And the book is Operation Massacre, uh, published by Seven Stories a few years ago. And it is... Um, Truman Capote before Truman Capote. Uh, so he recreates uh, a, a murder in, in Argentina. Uh, so it's a, a investigative journalism uh, along with, with, with fiction. Uh, what we now in Latin America call cronica, uh, which is not exactly chronicle, uh, but it is a, a cronica of a murder. Uh, so I, I would look into that. And now what I'm reading now, if you, wanna, if you want me to show you, Mm, yeah, well, we've all heard of Cormac McCarthy. Actually, I have him. a reading suggestion for you. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you've read it, but um, Catherine Corcoran, who was just on the show, uh, 
in the mouth of the the wolf a murder in mexico which is this sort of mix of investigation fact and supposition i think you'd enjoy that one too i i will look into that i did, no i don't know that book but thank you 